about coaches of any sport, whether it's football, basketball. Uh, I spend most of my time working on our football product, and the product that I've been building over the last year has been a product that allows coaches to create diagrams uh, and share them with their athletes to help them teach their players what plays they want them to run, basically. And before we jump too far into the product, uh, the product part of it, I think I'm not here to talk about our product, obviously. I'm here to talk about our process. And our process, I think, is a little bit unique in how we integrate user feedback into our product. Um, because for us, user feedback isn't just a part of our product development process. It's not just a checkbox on our checklist. It is our product development process. We integrate it into every single piece of our process. And I'll talk a little bit about that as we go forward. Um, I just want to start with a quick distinction between user feedback and usage data. I feel like sometimes people can take one without the other. And to me, having user, user, user data without user feedback is having data without context, data without emotion. And you can take something as simple as a conversion rate for your sign-up workflow. So let's say you have your conversion rate. There's nothing about that conversion rate, no matter how good it is, that's going to tell you how your users are thinking and feeling as they're going through that process. So I think you, can't, you have to have one with the other. Because feedback is really the lens that you need to use to view your user data through. And so when we talk about that, we try to integrate that into every single thing we do and pair the two side by side. So we're never just looking at the numbers and we're never just looking at raw feedback. We're always trying to watch them together to get the, to get the clearest picture. Um, so a little bit about our product. Uh, this is what a playbook looks like in case you guys have, haven't heard. And that's really the tool that we were building out. So a playbook in the physical sense is this big tool, this giant three ring binder that a coach puts together with diagrams and notes, uh, drops it on their player's desk and says, learn this, otherwise you're not gonna play. And so our goal was really to take that and to use the magic of technology to make it a rich and interactive teaching tool for the coaches and to make it an enjoyable experience for the athletes. So there was a ton of stuff for us to, to iterate on and test on, everything from creating the diagrams to creating the notes. And so we really attacked it from a feedback perspective from, from two angles. One being the big picture angle, the macro angle. So we wanted to gather feedback on, on the entire flow of the process, everything from creating the diagram to sharing with athletes. But on the flip side, we built user feedback loops around the most important workflows in our process. So whatever data was most important to us, we built a dialogue with our customers around that piece of data. So one example uh, that we built it around was the ability to attach a video to a diagram. And video was really, really the money feature in this product, right? The video is the diagram come to life for athletes to learn. It's the best way for them to learn to see it in action. And so we built a dialogue with our users around that action. And the huge benefit of it was is that you're, you get great feedback when you talk to your users in context. You can't just talk to your users, shoot them an email after a month of using the product and expect to get anything value out of that, valuable out of that. You also can't use tools necessarily like, like user voice, where coaches, and, coaches for us come and they use it more as a complaining forum than anything. You have to talk to your users in context and ask them the really specific questions that you want to learn about. So for this example specifically, if a user came to their diagram and went into the attached video workflow, we then tracked what they did. So if they didn't attach a video, we asked them a certain set of questions. We said, hey, coach, why didn't you attach a video there? Or tell us about your ideal clip that you would want to attach. And if they did attach a clip, we asked them a different set of questions. We would say, hey, coach, what was it about that clip that made you select it over all the other ones? Or what did you think about that workflow? Was it easy to use? So talking to your users in context will get you the most benefit 
out of the feedback. And it's not always just a specific feature or a specific workflow. Uh, this is something that we do on almost all of our pages, and they're all tailored to the specific page, but it's to put a tiny little feedback link in the top right hand of the right hand corner of the screen so that users can come to you when they're in context. They just ran through a confusing workflow or they just ran into a problem. Let them talk to you right away. And I know this is going to sound a little bit customer supporty, but that is, to me is still a different step. We're not trying to solve technical support problems. We're trying to figure out where our users are running into problems and then dig deeper on those things. So the actual act of creating these feedback loops and these dialogues with the users is not the super hard part. It's not hard to figure out the right question to ask. The hard part is what you do with it once you have all that feedback. So if you're sitting there saying, Greg, I'm already talking to users on a daily basis. I already know what they want and they need. I say, that's fantastic. Continue talking to them. You need to do it on a daily basis, not a weekly, not a monthly basis. But my question for you would be, is your engineer, are your engineers doing it? Are your designers doing it? Is every other person on your team working from the same context that you are? Because if they're not, you're missing a complete understanding of the problem. And if you, if you do share that feedback with the team, then they will be able to take that information and turn it into product ownership and turn it into actual uh, actionable features. So the biggest thing that you need to do as a leader of your team, or if you're the leader of a company that you need to empower your team to do, is to let them take actual ownership in the product. Because to me, ownership breeds pride. No one wants to build a crappy product, right? No one came here with the goal of like, I wanna learn how to build a crappy product. They came here with the, with the ability that they want to build something special. They want to build something that users enjoy. And when you take that attitude, that's when they really dig into user empathy. So when you have pride in the product that you're building, you automatically want to know what your users are thinking while they're using your product. One of the mantras and the values that we use as a company and as a team that we really feel spells out what we try to do with our users is we say we want to thrive on the front lines. So when you think about thriving on the front lines, you think of like a war zone, you're in the trenches, there's nowhere to hide, right? The front lines is an uncomfortable place. Okay, in this little picture here, all these guys that have their game face on, they're ready to rock because you better be ready to take some fire when you're on the front lines, right? But the front lines, the benefits of being there, you know what's working and what's not working. And you can make decisions and tweak the product and you find out in real time if you're actually making a difference. So this is something that we try to keep in the front of our minds that really pushes us to talk with and to interact with our users. So this is how we used to do user feedback. I, as the product manager, would talk to our users, or our users would email me, and I would distribute it to our team. Right? Not a bad process. We're getting feedback in front of everyone, but this actually doesn't go far enough because things get lost in translation. Right? Anybody ever played a game of telephone? By the time you get all the way to the end, that story's not the same. Okay? So you translating the feedback to your team and posting snippets in your team chat or forwarding user feedback emails isn't good enough. We developed a process where every single person on our team whether it was design, dev, PM, they were responsible for owning that feedback process. So yes, I participated in that process as well, but we set up forms and notification rules, and I'll talk a little bit more in specifics about this in just a second, and our feedback flowed to every person on our team from our users. It wasn't just me forwarding on information to them. Devs, designers, everybody was getting, it, getting hit right in their inbox uh, with all this great information. And then we entrusted them to have to reach back out to the users and probe for examples, ask questions, clarifying questions, or just say thank you. Because I'm a firm believer that if somebody's gonna take the time to give you feedback and try to make your product better, you owe them at least that. You at least have to say thank you for that. 
And so we used a tool called Wufu. I'm sure some of you are familiar with it, but there's a ton of other tools out there that you can use that really we would just embed a form on a page or an email. And as those emails flowed in, they're all tagged with a little tracking number, one through 100, for example. And every feedback email that came in, we had a rule for it. So it all went to everybody on the team, like you see here. I was in charge of responding to all the forms that ended in zero and one. Our designer was in charge of responding to all the forms that ended in two or three. So no one was really getting overloaded with the process, but we were all taking turns learning and talking with our users. So during this nine month period that we were building out these, these feedback loops in this product, we responded to over 800 emails from our users. And so at this point, I think you probably have two criticisms of me. One, nice vanity metric, Greg, that's what we're here to hear about. Um, but that's not the case. It's really hard to quantify the conversations that started because of all these emails, and it's even harder to quantify all the product changes we made by, based on the understanding that we got from these. Um, and the other criticism you probably have if you're thinking about doing something like this is, I don't want to turn my development team into a support team. And that's definitely a valid concern. But if we take this number and we break it down, like I said, it was about a nine month period that we were building this product, and we had five members on our team, two developers, a designer, a quality analyst, and a PM. And that averages out to about one email per day per team member. So that's a question you can ask yourself. Is one email per day per team member worth it for me to build a better product? Do I think I'm going to get value out of that? If the answer is no, then obviously that's, that's, your, that's your call. But if the answer is yes, that's a really small price to pay, in my opinion, to make a better product. So this is an example of a piece of feedback that we got in our feedback form, right? Very, very elaborate. Very direct and to the point, actually. And this is something that this, just this user, just this, what, what this user said, there's no solution in there. Because users, and no matter what they say, users don't know solutions, they just know problems. So when you look at it from that perspective, this is a problem. It says, I need to be able to share, how do I do that? Okay, and when we take a look at that, it's our job to then dig in and figure out What's the problem in our flow? Our product, it normally flows like this. We want coaches to create a diagram, right? That, that, that rich diagram with information. We want them to organize it into a group, then share it with their athletes and let their athletes view it, okay? This coach was clearly getting stuck somewhere in between step two and step three. So that, we at least knew that. But the trick came from digging in and asking more questions. Um, and it's not always an easy thing. I'll say I'm the most guilty of it. When I get an email like the one I just saw there, it's easy the first time to dig in and ask questions. But when you receive that same email or that same piece of feedback or criticism seven, eight, a hundred times, it's less easy. The users, instead of appearing like users in your head, they start to sound like robots or cavemen. And you think they sound a little bit like this. How share? And you just want to spoon feed them the answer. And you have to resist <laughs> everything that you, you have to do that. Because spoon feeding them the answer doesn't make it better. You, you, in fact, exacerbate the problem when you do that. And what I found is I was the one who was guilty of it, not our team. Our developers, without formal user feedback training or user interview training, they were the ones asking the best questions because they were the ones who cared the most about it. They were asking questions like, Coach, how do you teach your team? Like, when you sit down and want to teach them a playbook, take me through the steps for that. And that's what yielded actually insightful answers and, and responses. So, don't, so resist that urge to spoon feed them. So we actually took our, our process, and from talking to this user and a ton of other users like it who were running into the same issues, we adjusted our workflow. We found that coaches, they wanted to share their diagrams with their athletes the second after they created them. And our workflow was bad because we had just basically taken the physical model 
the, I'm gonna create my diagrams, I'm gonna put them in a giant tree ring binder, I'm gonna slam them on your desk and expect you to read them. We basically did that in electronic form. Okay? We didn't actually understand the real problems that, that the users were facing. So reorganizing this workflow paid huge dividends on the back end. While we saw the same amount of diagrams created from one month to the next, we saw that athlete views, which is the best part of our, the biggest uh, engagement metric that we could measure, they grew 2x over that same time period. So while the diagrams remained static, the athletes were actually getting more value out of our product, which was the key. So it's not as simple as taking your user emails, right, and making a to-do list out of them and just start checking them off. There's a lot of people who would tell you that's a very bad idea, and I would be one of them, okay? But the process you have to go through, while manual, is what's gonna pay the most benefits. So we literally would take a whiteboard and start writing up all of the things that our users were talking about, trying to figure out what the users thought was the most important problem that we needed to solve for them. And we would put it on a Google Doc, put it on a whiteboard, and just tally them up, okay? But it's not as simple as, again, just, just ranking them by who's talking about them the most. You have to analyze what each user is talking about and see, maybe, maybe the problem isn't I just need to fix this bug, maybe I actually need to revisit this entire workflow. And I need to think about it in a bigger picture sense. And at the same time, you need to be working on what's most important for you and for the user. So you need to be constantly prioritizing all these feature requests that come in to figure out what is actually gonna be the biggest bang for your buck. How can I actually impact my users? So when you have a process that does these things, that synthesizes your feedback and prioritizes it so you're working on the most important thing, it, this is what it looks like in practice. It's gonna be a little bit different than your standard product development process. The first thing is, is that your roadmap is gonna adjust really frequently to working on what's most important for you and your users. And each item in your feedback is gonna already be tied back, or each item in your roadmap, excuse me, is already gonna be tied back to those pieces of feedback. You're gonna have real user stories to draw from when you're talking about picking items from your roadmap. The next thing is that everyone on your team, whether they like it or not, is gonna be comfortable interacting with users. And I'll tell you what, it's not a comfortable thing for a developer to interact with the user for the very first time. So it's something that you need to support and you need to train and you need to develop. But you'll find in user interviews that eventually questions start flying fast and furious from every single person on the team. And that's how you know that every, everyone has a stake in that product, that they actually, wanna, they actually wanna make a difference. You'll find that your team is actually uncomfortable building without that feedback. They crave that validation to know that they're on the right track and they don't wanna build superfluous product without having that validation. The next thing is that you're gonna see discussions and brainstorms pop up as those pieces of feedback come in. So a lot of times we would get a piece of feedback in, let's say it was 9 a.m., and we would jump into an immediate discussion about that because it was so interesting or it came from a different perspective that we hadn't considered before, and we wanted to discuss it as a team, so we'd hop into Google Hangout and talk about it. Uh, and what that means is that the problem that you're trying to solve and the understanding of that problem evolve and change in real time as your users talk to you and as you talk to your own team. And last but not least, you're gonna hear your team quoting user feedback. That's the best kind of user story. When you're in a planning meeting and people use quotes from users to back up their ideas and their thoughts, and you're also gonna feel people push back on others who aren't doing the same thing, who don't have that data and don't have that feedback and they're not presenting it as a part of their idea. So that's what it's gonna be. That's, that's how it's gonna look and feel in practice. And now this isn't something that just happens, obviously. It takes a ton of ownership and I know there's that, that, that's hard to build in a team. But again, nobody wants to build a crappy product. They want to take pride in what they're building. Allowing them to gather and to act on this feedback in an actual tactical way is what's going to make them iterate at a faster process and build a better product for our users. 
So it can't just be that you're, talk, that you're using user feedback to, to half-heartedly validate your assumptions after you've built everything out. It has to be in the trenches, back and forth with the users where you're on the front lines learning from them on a daily basis. Thank you, I have some time for some questions, so I'd love to talk to you. Yes, sir. Yes, a uh, quick question. Uh, uh, with the experience you, you gave, I, I want to understand uh, what problem you're trying to solve. Uh, I'll give you an example. You have a PM, you mm -hmm. have a few, uh, several customer feedback. Uh, how is it different to summarize the, those customer feedback and run it on a daily scroll meeting to your team members, as opposed to having all your team members read it like, like you did? Like, uh, what problem were you uh, facing with that improvement that day, for example, if you could elaborate on that? Honestly, it was just a lack of buy-in, because when you're the one as the product manager relaying that feedback to them, they, they don't inherently believe you. Getting on the front, having them get on the front lines and talk with the users lets them realize, hey, this is an actual problem. You know, I've, had, I've, had, I've seen three emails today that came in that mentioned this problem. We need to talk about this. And so it wasn't so much, uh, a usability problem or anything like that. It wasn't unwieldy for me to manage that feedback with the user. It was more of an issue of, I wanted the team to buy in, and I want the team to have the same level of, of passion to go get those problems as well. And that was what built it for us. Yeah. Have you ever had a team member say, you know what, this is not my job, I'm not doing this, I'm not responding to user feedback? Um, we haven't ever had that happen to us. Part of it, I think, is because we do give that ownership to the team. I could see that happening in a situation where an exec is flying in from the top saying you need to build X, Y, and Z. And that's when that pushback, I think, happens. But when you're a company that focuses on user feedback and focuses on user research, your execs are no longer pitching their pet features and things like that. They're giving research directives because they know that user feedback is gonna build a better product. And so a lot of it comes with you need to make sure you're pairing up your, your team members with a product that fits their interests too. Obviously, if it's not in their interest, let's try to find something that is. You know, let's find what their passion is and let's get them mashed up with that project so they do feel comfortable talking to those users. But it's definitely an adjustment. It's a whole company mentality where, you know, I don't want to have to talk to users, I just want to write code. It builds a better product when you do talk to users. Yeah? Uh, do you treat all users the same? Is all feedback worth equal weight, so to say, or? Um, it depends on the feedback, so no is the short answer to that. Basically. It's, it's not like we value higher paying customers, their feedback more or anything like that, but we do value the feedback that can explain itself and provide good examples more, if that makes sense. So when we get an email that's like, how do I share, I don't know how to do that, it's not as valuable as when someone is saying, I'm trying to do X, Y, Z, here's how I do X, Y, Z in my current workflow, and this is why this workflow doesn't work. When there's more detail, you just naturally draw yourself to talk with that user more. They're willing to explain themselves more and their workflow more, uh, which kind of draws us to pay more attention to that, if that makes sense. Yeah. But, but in your case, you have coaches and you have players. Mm -hmm. Do you treat their feedback equally? Uh, we tend to lean towards the coaches a bit more. And in this scenario, the coaches are our paying customers and the athletes are our consumers. So we do tilt a little bit more towards the coaches. But we still know that if we have a product that athletes won't use, our coaches are not going to pay for that product. So we still do want to talk to both sides. Yeah. How do you incentivize customer to give you more feedback? Um, we actually haven't had to do a ton of that, um, which is surprising, right? The, the user isn't necessarily incentivized to say, I'm gonna help you build a better product. What we've found is that our users are so passionate that they do, they do want the best out of that product that they're willing to provide that for us. Um, some things on the side that we've done is just 
go out and visit them so they don't feel like they're having to take that time out. You know, we'll embed ourselves with some of our users in their normal weekend routine uh, just to kind of see how they work and not necessarily ask them questions while they're there, just talk with them. Um, we've also found like some swag goes a little like, goes a long way in, in smoothing over some of those things too, a t-shirt thing here and there. Yeah. How did you handle uh, balancing? You mentioned setting priorities, mm -hmm. so especially when the team's all bought in, and now I'm really excited to help all the users. But at the same time, you, you can't fix all the problems. Yeah. You need to set priorities. How did you deal with? Okay, well we're we're not going to fix these because they're they're not a high priority currently. Yeah, it's, that's a really honest conversation that you have to have with not only your team, but the users too. The good thing is our, your team, I think, will understand that more. They understand there's only so many of us to go around. There's only so many things we can tackle. But that user who pitches that pet feature, right, that they really want it, um, being honest with them about what our product does and doesn't do is, is what we try to get better at every single day. And so it's something where we try not to lead them on with, we'll get to that eventually, or it's, you know, it's on the roadmap or things like that. We try to be brutally honest with them in that, in that sense, but it's something that every, we have to get better at every single day, because it's not an easy conversation to have. I would say on the team side of the prioritizing, it's an intense conversation, right? Everybody's passionate about it, they're bought in on this product, they want the best product. So those are not easy conversations to have, but to me, that's the fun part, right? When everybody's passionate about it and they, you know you're gonna end up in the right spot, it's not necessarily an easy process to get there, but when everybody's that bought in and passionate, you know you're end up in the right place. Yeah? How many uh, feedbacks reviews did your team receive per day? Yeah, um, it varied a little bit with what day of the week it was. We found our users would give us more feedback, like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then Friday, Saturday, Sunday, they were spending time with their family, but they didn't give as much feedback. But it averaged out to about one piece of feedback per team member per week over that nine month period. Yeah. I don't know if you have this problem, but have you thought about strategies for how this, how this is gonna scale? Yeah, you don't want 8,000 for the same group. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, one of the things that you can do is you can throttle it. Um, so if you have a ton of users, let's say, you can throttle the percentage that you're asking for feedback. Maybe you don't ask feedback every time somebody selects not to attach video, or maybe you just focus on, we wanna know why they're not attaching video, so we're not gonna ask them if they do attach a video, great, we'll assume that the workflow works well. We're only gonna focus on the people who haven't been attaching video. Um, so you can kind of throttle it that way. The way that we scale it across our entire product team is that every product squad really owns a separate piece of the product, so they're not really crossing over with the same users. Sometimes they are, um, but we try to be careful about not, not badgering the same users for feedback in every single part of our product, right? The last thing you wanna do is have a user use your product for a day and get seven feedback emails about different parts of it. Uh, I'm gonna go for somebody in the back. Yeah, so we had the emails go to everyone. That was the beauty of using a tool like Wufu. We set up the communication rules to just for, send the feedback emails to everyone, but only one person was in charge of responding. So everybody got it and saw it, and then we would take weekly, sometimes bi-weekly like, times to sit down and synthesize that stuff so we could actually put the tallies next to the, next to the features or next to the bugs that we, had, that we were seeing. So it wasn't everybody's job to read everyone, but you found that if we put it in their inbox, they were more likely to read it than if we had just posted it in a, in a thread somewhere. Yeah? When customers click through to give you feedback, do you give them some sort of um, options on how to give you better feedback? 
um, like an example of, hey, if you give us more information, it can be better? Do you do any like educating them? We haven't tried to educate them as much as we have tried to ask better questions. So we've found that if we're not getting the right type of feedback, we're probably asking the wrong questions. And there's definitely iteration and experimentation in the questions that you're asking too. But like I said, we haven't found that to be the hard part. It's just a matter of trying to find the right question to ask and find the right time to approach them so you do get that feedback coming back. Yeah? Do you have any aggregate business measures that kind of drives the process that you're in now? Are you having release cycles that are needs to meet a specific time goal or is there something else that guides what you're doing? Yeah, so we do have some constraints like that. Being that we're a product for football coaches, we're very seasonal, right? Because they're, they're doing, they're having their practices, they're teaching their athletes in early fall. Um, but what we found is it's not getting the most usage in the fall. They're actually building it in the winter and in the spring so their athletes can learn when they're outside of the season. So we do have those kind of seasonal constraints in there. We actually use a continuous deployment process so we're able to kind of distribute change, put change out there whenever we want to, which is a huge advantage in a process like this where we're trying to learn how so Anything else? Awesome, thank you guys, appreciate it. Thank you.